0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith, of the Gobbledy Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sippel. And I'm Arlo Wiley. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series, Avatar The Last Airbender, and its sequel series, The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight... Uh, and this week, there are episodes again. Finally, we're back to talking about the show. Because you demanded it, you the listeners. Uh, we finally begin book two of The Legend of Korra, titled Spirits. Uh, new faces, new settings, new outfits, new romantic intrigue. Uh, we've got a lot to discuss tonight uh, with the first four chapters. Rebel Spirit, The Southern Lights, uh, and Civil Wars Parts 1 and 2, also known as My Little Bison Flying as Magic. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, we just had a holiday, guys. How was your fourth? It was good.
1: My fourth Um, what? Your your fourth drink of the night. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty good so far. (laughs) Um, My my fourth was fine. Uh, I celebrated by eating my weight in uh, Butterfinger-inflected ice cream. Um, Okay, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I. Th- it's weird. So the fourth is one of those holidays that my family doesn't really do anything for. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like Memorial Day. I honestly can't. I couldn't tell you the last time we did anything for Memorial Day. But for the fourth, we sometimes will just go get ice cream. That's like the end of it. So I did that with my family, and I uh, stayed with some friends over the weekend. That's. Uh, it, was, it was pretty chill. Had a pretty good time. Okay. Right. I also uh, engaged in various anti-American activities, but we can talk about that later.
0: Oh, oh all right. <laughs> Interesting.
1: I know, but uh, yeah. that, that's, that's that's for after the show.
0: Okay, for uh, the Avatar Returns after dark. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Eric, what about you? Anything exciting? Were you sober really... enough to remember it?
1: I mean, I was sober
2: for like part of it, but I had to cook, <laughs> and you can't you can't barbecue. You can't start off barbecuing drunk because that's all the difficulty is. It takes a while to get, you know, the temperature steady. If you're drunk, then you're totally fucked. But after that, it takes hours. So <laughs> you just steadily get drunk until the food's ready. And then you are so happy to be eating at that point.
0: And then it doesn't matter what you've cooked, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you, you assume it's good. You, when you get to the leftovers, like, the next day, you're like, oh, yeah, I nailed that. I nailed that. So I, I made a, It was actually an easy one. I, sm- I smoked a chicken um Yes. Me um, too, wow. buddy. How me do you, too. How do you keep?
0: Okay, never mind.
2: You just you had a very large rolling paper. Oh uh, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. No, it, it was. I will say that you know we, the the world is full of pulled pork and brisket, which are unbelievably delicious. But shockingly, smoking a chicken, it results in some really delicious
1: food. I mean, so, I I believe that that sounds incredible. And it just now occurred to me, I didn't have any barbecue over the 4th of July holiday fail, weekend. Fail. Good Lord. Uh we did make uh these lasagna roll-ups with chicken and bacon in an, alf- in an alfredo sauce.
0: That's that's a truly bizarre combination of foods that you just sort of conflated all together as if it was one thing.
1: It, it, okay, so it's uh it's a lasagna. Like for 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 one you take like a lasagna noodle, okay, and you you put uh, chicken and bacon, and then you roll it up, and then you like put it in a pan and like drench it with Alfredo sauce, and you bake it, and it's incredible.
0: Okay, all right. That's I was trying you to mean. imagine, you, you started off saying like lasagna rolls, and I was like, this could be amazing, and then you added uh, chicken. I was like, okay, lasagna with chicken somehow baked into a roll, all right, I'm with you. And then you added bacon, and I was like, okay. It makes everything better. And then you said slathered in Alfredo. And I was like, all right, at some point, this ceases to be lasagna and becomes (laughs) something entirely different. So where's the lasagna in this?
1: I mean, I guess it's not technically lasagna, but we use lasagna noodles. Okay. And it was, it was great.
0: It was great. All right. I did have barbecue because I'm in the South and that's the only thing that we eat here. (laughs) That's the only food period. It is. Everything is barbecued. You want you that, that, uh, the uh, Butterfinger ice cream you were talking about, barbecued. <laughs> I mean, that's just everything is barbecued here. So uh, barbecue no, oatmeal for breakfast. We, exactly. Uh, so yes, we had barbecue, and then uh, we've got the local fireworks show that the city puts on every year. We have seen it in years past, but there's an area that is called the Mall. It's a bit. It's a big open field near an old high school where everybody goes and they usually have like live music and there's food trucks and that kind of stuff. And you can, you can sort of see (laughs) the fireworks from there. It's, it's where it's the official place to go to watch the fireworks, but it's always so crowded and there's never, it's never comfortable. There's never really a good place to see the fireworks from. So we've just stopped going the past few years. This year, we discovered that there's, there are like back roads. I mean, I, Pam has lived her her whole life I don't know why she has never told me this in previous years we've always struggled to find a good spot where you're supposed to be to watch it but this year we we kind of went down a side road and we ended up parking like I don't know 100 feet from where they actually launched the fireworks so we had a perfect show um but the, the best thing that happened was we're sitting here, we're watching the fireworks. We're like, this is amazing. This is front row seat. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I thought it was a helicopter in the distance. And then I realized, that's a drone. Someone is flying a drone oh, through the fireworks right now. So we watched the entire show hoping that at any moment, one of the fireworks was going to knock that thing out of the sky. <laughs> and it would crash flaming <laughs> into the crowd of people. And the real fireworks would start. But alas, yeah, that there's... never happened.
1: There was actually a pretty great video from a few years back. Uh, someone flew a drone with a high-def camera equipped to it through the fireworks. And it was basically – And they played it slow motion. It was basically the real-life equivalent of the Jupiter sequence from 2001. <laughs> it was pretty mind-expanding to, to watch. I have to say, though, I am a fireworks curmudgeon. Okay. Um, I've I, I saw exactly one firework this year. That's while I was driving the night before July fourth, I saw one through the trees. That was that was my only fireworks experience this year. Um I when I was a kid, I loved fireworks, but now I see them and it's just like we're exploding things in the air. I guess the colors are nice. Why why are thousands of people standing here for ten minutes to watch this happen? <laughs> I don't know the the magic is gone for me and then uh it, it doesn't help that I was staying with people uh who have small children and big dogs and so every time it sounded like a cannon was being mm-hmm. uh something was being shot from a cannon you know the kids started screaming and the dogs freaked out and yeah I don't know I just I'm not uh, the fireworks have lost their appeal for me
0: well the 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 dog the dog's freaking out and cowering is not a good thing but uh the children screaming. I mean that's half the fun. So. <sighs> Paul, 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 Paul. The kids were There's in bed. We were trying to drink. They're screaming for the wrong reasons. If they were screaming
2: because they were terrified of fireworks and would never set them off again, that would be great. But they're screaming because they one day want to be in your backyard lighting them off and making your day hell. So I'm I'm down I'm down on these fireworks thing. I'm with I'm with Arlo. I have no time for fireworks at all.
0: See, and no. I, I was going to say, if they were screaming because a flaming drone just crashed in the backyard and set everybody on fire, then that's one thing. <laughs> if
2: if I if I wrote a if I wrote something in the Avatar Spirit, everyone's family would have been killed by fireworks instead of firebenders.
0: <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> Let's take this. Uh, Let's get this show on the road. With, I just realized the title of uh, the first chapter we're going to discuss kind of uh, goes along with maybe the 4th of July. Uh, Arlo, you're the newbie, so you get to tell us uh, your impressions of episode or Chapter 201, Rebel Spirit.
1: I have to say, it does not compare to M. Night Shyamalan's masterpiece, The Last Airbender. Nothing does. Uh, having just watched that epitome of cinema, uh, really, these episodes could do nothing but disappoint. And that's what they did, just gutter trash. <laughs> okay. um, no, so so, Rebel Spirit, I thought, was a great reintroduction to the world of uh, Korra. And actually, uh, I really am glad that we're finally watching The Legend of Korra again. It's been about a month in real time, and uh, especially coming off of the Shyamalan movie, it was amazing to see something with so much life and energy and vitality. All of the things Shyamalan had sucked from the world of Avatar. <laughs> um, so that was, that was really nice. And I liked uh, this picks up, what, six months after the end of the first season? Yep. Um, I like seeing where everyone is now. Korra and Mako are no longer on the fire ferrets. Uh, Mako is a police officer. Yeah. Uh, and he tries to get in a, a CSI Miami joke. Like, looks like you... Had some car trouble. You just need uh, a <laughs> uh, Roger Daltrey screaming in the background. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, one of my notes is firebending plus motorcycle chase equals badass. Yeah, his
2: little, can, motor, his little firebending motorcycle spin to get out of that ice was pretty incredible.
1: I cannot get enough of these car chases and motorcycle chases. I I seriously think like that's, that's the one thing Avatar was missing. <laughs> we're just you know, vehicular i wanted to say manslaughter just then that's not right uh vehicular mayhem yeah um yeah fantastic
0: if only there had been a high-speed cabbage cart chase
1: in, uh, oh my god that would have been that would have been fantastic why yeah. why was the cabbage guy not in the Shyamalan movie good point Shyamalan should have played the cabbage guy
2: oh missed opportunity oh my god. A re- but like really boring and like <laughs> yeah. dour and serious cabbage guy like a hey, like a 30 minute shot of him going my cabbages, my, my cabbages what happened to my cabbages.
1: God. Oh man. The, the, we're the never going to escape the
2: horror. We've actually ruined the rest of the show because everything we see, we're going to end up somehow trapped back
1: in, and like Shyamalan's the last airbender again. <laughs> that was my plan all along. The cabbage guy, by the way, would have been the hero of the Shyamalan movie.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I, I was really happy to be back in this world. Um, and it wasn't for me, we can get into this, but I think. So being the newbie has its advantages, which is that I come into this show, these episodes, with no preconceptions, except there are times when, like beforehand, I think uh, Eric certainly had said that this was his least favorite season of Korra, and uh, maybe his least favorite season of the whole avatar universe so without really intending to i came into these episodes like sitting down like okay i'm gonna pinpoint where all this goes wrong um that was not really my intent but i sort in the back of my head i kept wondering so is this what eric hates is this what's bad um so eric you you ruined the show for me
2: well you ruined the show for me so fucking mutual <laughs>
1: Oh uh, but no so okay my question to you guys is um, cuz Paul I think maybe you hadn't been as hardline as Eric but I think you had said
0: something similar that this was not your favorite season either. Yeah I didn't uh I didn't remember a whole lot of it and I I I used that fact along with um Eric's sort of dour opinion of season 2 to tell myself well, that probably means it was my least favorite season. Uh now that we are we're four chapters in to book two, I can tell you it's, I feel like it's all coming back to me and I feel like, yes, uh, book two is my least favorite of the four books uh, in the legend of Korra.
1: Okay. So in, so I know we're, we're still discussing this episode by episode. So were there any, was there anything in this first episode that points to what you don't like about the season?
2: So I, so actually I'm not sure that this is a question I can easily answer with just one. And I, 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 on an overall note, Um, I actually liked these and I actually think I did the first time too. So this may not mean a ton, but I like these first four episodes Mm -hmm. a lot for the most part. I mean, I think that there's a lot of good stuff. I think that the, the, I want to say the core problem perhaps of this season can be found in these episodes, which is that you, I think there's a noticeable gear shift from season long show into longer show in this season. I actually think is Probably most of my issues with this season really come down to that, which is not a terrible problem to have. It's kind of like you you, you kind of get pilot – first season pilot problem this year instead of the first season because the first season was a miniseries right. basically. right. So I think that that's – you can kind of feel them expanding the world somewhat, which is good. Expanding the world is a good thing. But you can feel them expanding the world uh, in a way that they didn't do in the first season. So they have like a lot of catch-up to do. Um, and I think that the seams show a little more, even though I think there's a lot of really fantastic stuff in all of these. Um, and I like the shift to the Spirit World stuff, even though it is um, kind of a big move. Although this is something interesting. That was my maybe my first big problem the first time through was, what is all the Spirit World stuff? I don't remember the Avatar being so like Spirit World connected, but I was just wrong about that. That was a misremembrance I had of the series, that there was like a big Spirit World component to uh, to the Avatar that just didn't play out in the first series. So in retrospect, I think I was just wrong on that. And then diving into the spirit world was exactly the right move.
1: By the way, I want to take what you just said in retrospect, I was just wrong. That's going to be my new ringtone for everything. Just so I can hear you say, by the way, I was just wrong every day of my life because that amused me
0: as if, as if people call you often enough that you'll hear a ringtone every day. Ooh. Don't
2: worry. When when Arlo begins his career as a third-rate shock jock, that can be one of those little clips he plays.
0: <laughs> He'll have his soundboard. Uh,
1: I hate to I hate to explain this or I hate to break this to you, Eric, but uh, I'm already a third-rate shock jock.
2: Well, you're good then. When the gobbledygook needs like a person on the obnoxious soundboard, and there you go. There's your first clip. Oh, it'll be it'll be like a
1: triple air horn followed by. By the way, I was just wrong. Yeah. There you go, and then a fart. <laughs> and then a fart. And then a fart. <laughs> <sighs> um, so,
2: so okay. So we were talking about this episode. This uh, the, actually, this is the big problem with watching four is like exactly piecing out the episodes gets a little right. tougher. Although so I will say every we time we watch, two-parter. what's that? Yeah, it doesn't help that like there it was like it's really like three with then with one extra episode. Um, but I do find that every time we watch four episodes halfway through, I'm like, God, these are a lot of episodes. And then I get through <laughs> the last one and I'm like, but I want to keep watching. <laughs> so that was where I was in this one. But the first one was largely the setup. Right? They went down to the nor- they went down to the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. to get up. That was that that, that was basically the, yeah, this, the, well, that's right. This is this is the spirit world stuff of like her introduction to Un Unalak Unalak. Yeah, Unalak. I, I was I didn't want to call him. I was like, wait, Tarlok, Unalak. No wait, Tarlok's from the first one. Yeah, yeah,
0: it, it doesn't dad. help that her dad is named Tonrock. So Ton- yeah. Tonrock, Tarlock, Unalak. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> Meshak, Reshak, and Vendigo.
2: <laughs> I actually really like the 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 similarity in naming structure. It may I feel it feels really intentional. Like it's the kind of thing you don't like do. Because you're lazy,
0: you oh, know. Oh no, like I, it, I agree. It, it just makes but it. It, d- some t- it does. <laughs> yeah, um, especially in the like the character design of Unalak in particular. Um, I, I feel like they, as the episodes go and and the character sort of sort of finds his footing, uh, he's easily distinguishable. But at first, like the first few scenes that we get, he his name not only has the 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 lock. Sound or whatever it's Unalak mm-hmm. and Tarlok He also kind of looks a little Yeah bit like for,
1: half a, for half a Second I thought it was Tarlok
0: yeah. And I was like wait
1: a second
0: But for it, it, for In world reasons in universe Reasons it makes total sense I mean they're You know they're water tribe people But still It took a little getting used to but um, I would say it I'm fine if we want to talk about these four Episodes as a unit instead of episode By episode um I, That'd probably be a little easier.
2: I, Actually, why don't we split it in, into the into two pieces? Because okay. I feel like one and two are a block, and two and three are—I mean, sorry, three and four are a block. I right. feel like those are those are the logical divisions of these episodes to me. Right.
0: So the first two, so uh, chapters two hundred one and two hundred two, the Rebel Spirit and the Southern Lights. That's kind of the the Southern Spirit Portal uh, chapter, I guess, um, where. Sh- she goes to the South Pole, she meets her uncle, uncle Unalak, he is a religious fanatic, and tells her that the spirit portal is closed, and uh, the the southern people have lost their connection to the spirit, uh, the spirit world, and she needs to open the portal, and this is the first time we've heard of a spirit portal before, so I kind of liked her reaction uh, when he said, uh, I need you to open the spirit portal, and she's like, the what now? I was like, yeah, exactly, the what now? What the hell are you talking about? We've never heard of a spirit portal before.
1: And I guess that's part of the pilot syndrome Eric was talking about, like, just mentioning this new random thing suddenly in you know, season two of the show. And I, I don't know. I'm always conflicted when shows do that. It didn't really bother me that much here, but that – I don't know. That's interesting. The, it's So
2: one thing about the – in fact, these first two episodes really start off, and it's, it's made in retrospect after getting through the rest of the show. Like, it's both ends of – both Cora and starting from the beginning have made me appreciate this season more, even if I do think there's some clunky storytelling aspects to it. In that, all the setup happening here is not just setting up this season, which was where I would be a little more concerned. But the repercussions of this season and everything we learned f- fan out through the rest of the show. Um, this everything with the spirit world stuff is not an isolated plot just to give some story for this year. It informs the fabric of the rest of the show. So that is, which I think goes back to my pilot thing, why I think they're like, they burn a lot of time this season on establishing things that the show has never really established before. Even though I do feel like it's not out of touch with the other stuff that's going on. Like they admitted in, was it in The Search? Where they admitted that they had they were coming up with rules for the spirit world. Yeah. When they were doing this, so they certainly had like a lot of things they hadn't figured out before. But I do feel like it's all of a piece with the show. But in doing that, it's like we have to set up the spirit portals. We have to set up how spirits work and and like uh, Unalak spirit calming and all kinds of things like that that make it. As I said, I want to go back to like it makes the seams show on the storytelling. Um, but I but I. I am looking forward to getting through this with the knowledge that, um, this does go somewhere and it actually does follow up on things that avatar never got to follow up on.
0: Um, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's not a spoiler to say that this whole spirit world thing becomes a, is a big deal throughout this season because the entire season is called book two spirits. So clearly that's what this season is about. But if you're just watching these first two chapters, um, oh, it feels like it's got that really rushed pace that we've, we felt at the beginning of book one where this feels like a, big, a larger story, this whole opening the spirit portal and, and all that stuff feels like we're racing through it in two episodes. Um, all these new concepts are introduced. We meet a ton of new characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eric, you're right. This really is setting the stage for what the entire season is about. Yeah, I mean, the rest or, of the the, and the entire like, yeah. series, yeah, the entire series. So, um, well, let's talk about some new characters. Uh, we've we've already mentioned. Well, we had already met Tonrock briefly at the very beginning of Book One, but and Senna, so uh, Cora's father and mother. But uh, we,
2: we, I, I think that we just need to reestablish that Tonrock is voiced by James Remar. Yes, yeah, I, that just I mean like that's an important fact that no one should ever forget because it's James. Much. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, so, anyways, he, he, come on. He's
2: Ajax and the Warriors.
0: Give it, give it up. We, we, I mean, can we talk about John Michael Higgins for a second?
1: Yeah. John Michael Higgins is brilliant, and I love Varick.
0: Yes.
2: Oh, God. Okay. Varick, we got to talk about Varick. Varick is, is for real. <laughs> Julie, for do real. the thing. This is like my line I was up on Twitter all the time. We have finally got the introduction of Julie, do the thing. Which is my favorite line in all of Avatar: Korra.
0: I, I, I I you'll hear it a lot. <laughs> I love Varrick <laughs> so much.
1: He has so many great lines. He, uh, he's he's
2: like he's hilarious. He's strange. He fits into the weird Avatar side of plotting perfectly, while not feeling like a ripoff of any of the other weird Avatar characters. He's like I think what like the final refinement of what they were trying to do with Boomy. And we've finally oh, yeah. we finally gotten there. We've finally gotten to the real, like the true Super Saiyan form
1: of what they want to do. <laughs> he is he is Boomy perfected,
0: <laughs> which is awkward since we get much more of Boomy. Oh no, you're talking about the original Boomy, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get we get
2: we get we get too. Boomy like, two. We get
1: to Boomy two point oh in a second, but. uh. Yeah, Varric is fantastic. Everything he says is hilarious. Like, honesty is for fools, kids. Um, yeah. and, and I like my wealth. Yes, exactly. And he's he's eating kale cookies. I can't
2: his, stop his eating. His introduction these. Of, of levitating is fantastic. Like his <laughs> levitation scene. Oh, I like. God. I like when he fires the Swami, and the Swami just like very calmly gets up, bows, and like walks out backwards. Like he's not gonna mess with with Varric on that. He's, Swami, you're fired. Gets up, and long shot of him backing out of the room
1: it's wonderful and i love <laughs> him uh trying to to establish the motion picture industry he's like yes. we're gonna do big business with these movers as i call them
2: the mo- <laughs> the movers. Uh, his actually that scene leads to our like our first time i think ever in the avatar verse that they've gone for like sex appeal with mm-hmm. anything with oh, ginger, yeah is
0: that her name ginger yeah uh who might be the first just straight up white character we've seen in the entire s- series i think so like i don't think there's any ethnic element to that character at all i think she's just straight up a white chick
2: yeah they're all like, went they and, went on uh, for the the white ginger but
1: which i'm like i i am all about gingers so i'm yep, fine with that
2: that the the shot of of uh, Bolin trying to look at her while yes. while Varric continues moving in his way was just a brilliant <laughs> visual comedy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um. you'll get you're gonna get you're gonna get your share of Varric, So this is why like I'm conflicted in some way. There's a lot of things we're gonna note as we're going through these of why I'm conflicted on my this is the worst season of Avatar comments because I'm think I was thinking about it from a plot level, but I was forgetting some of the wonderful character stuff. This season does, and Varric is just the tip of the iceberg for me on, on that stuff. By the way, um,
0: I, I don't know if, I, I mean, I guess it is the, I guess we were saying it's the worst season of Avatar, but that, it's not bad. <laughs> like, this is not, it's still Avatar, it's still Legend of Korra, it's still pretty great, it's just our least favorite. It, so. and, and there's
2: no, and there might not be any Dai Li, so actually, I might come around on this season, we're gonna... <laughs> Say.
0: <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't remember if there is a daily or not.
2: Uh, but no. But the Verrick is wonderful. um J- Julie, I actually really like Julie, and mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to start liking her until you see her for a while and the endless Varrickness she has to put up with. Yeah. Um. But she's she, her like. I especially love her jamming the tea um like plate into Bolin's hands to run to set to start the movie mm-hmm. when we get the when we get the very first instance of Julie do the thing. Um and she has to like run off to it. Anyways, Julie's great. Julie's wonderful. She's my star, my star avatar character. I'm just going to note that right now.
0: Julie, Julie Julie is my right. Wow. All right. Um, So we, uh, at the end of last season, we got a very brief glimpse of uh, Boomy 2.0. Yes. Uh, And uh, we had heard reference at the very beginning of season one to Boomy and Kaya who were, uh, Tenzin's brother and sister, but uh here we finally get to meet them. They actually become full-blooded characters. So Arlo, what do you think of uh the older brother and older sister?
1: Well, to start off with, I really like the sibling rivalry aspect of this season. Mm-hmm. And how it plays out not just through um Unalak and Tanrak, which is at least so far the main conflict, but through uh Tenzin, Bumi and Kaya and thinking about it so much of the avatar world is built on uh family ties uh we, you know that goes back to amon and uh tarlok last season and we just uh, and sokka and katara yeah sokka and katara we just read uh the search a couple weeks ago which was all about uh Siblings and their differences and their their bond, and so that's interesting. Plus Katara and Sokka. Oh, there's a Katara has a line, uh, and so even <clears throat> excuse me, even Marie Saint comes back to voice the elderly Katara, and she has a line: uh, "When you're my age, when you get to be, be my th- age, yeah, when you get to be my age, you'll be thankful for the time you've you have with your siblings." And that really choked me up because Sokka's dead. God damn it. Right, he's dead, right?
0: Maybe. God damn it! God,
1: god damn it! Anyway, (laughs) anyway, that really choked me up. But as to your question, I really liked uh, Boomy and Kaya. Boomy is a vast improvement on the guy he was named after. I, I grew to accept the original Boomy in a way <laughs> but because never... he
0: had, because he, he became cool by the end.
1: He, he did become cool by the end, but I think Eric was right with what he was saying earlier that he was, he's a really wacky, goofy left field character that they had not necessarily figured out uh, at the time. But uh, so I wasn't huge on him, but I really like this new boomy who seems like a real person <laughs> instead of just uh, aggressive lunacy. Um, and, uh, I also, I, I liked Kaya as well, who was voiced by Lisa Edelstein. Right. Um,
0: the, the free I, spirit I th- I, hippie daughter.
1: Yeah. I really liked that. Actually. I liked that, uh, um, the, I know that I always say things like, I really like that this happened on a Nickelodeon show because who would have expected that? I feel like I should be expecting these things from, from Avatar, from Korra at this point, but it was still to, for, I, I don't think it was in these two episodes, but I'm going to break from, I'm going to break from uh, our just mold here for break just it. a second. Break it. Uh, I'm going to smash that mold uh, for Tenzin, Bumi and Kaya to have a conversation about, you know, who was there when Aang died, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. who, who had to help out. Kaya feels like she gave up her life uh, to be with Katara after Aang died. And, you know, Tenzin's like, well, that's only after you spent years and years just gallivanting around. It was just really realistic sibling rivalry.
0: Yeah. Add that to the long list of stories that I want to see fleshed out. Um, yeah. Like in the comics or whatever. I I want to, i want a mini series that focuses on these three siblings growing up what it was like for them by the way was
1: that the first reference ever on these shows to someone actually dying well okay i guess you had um uh, iroh's son but they actually said like like. come on and jet in the MRI. yeah okay but they, <laughs> i think jet count. died i think jet died <laughs> um But they actually, you know, I think they actually had the line like, you know, where were you when dad died or or something Mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. Like that they are actually dealing with death as a subject.
0: Hey, speaking of deal. I mean, you're right. That's a pretty big moment. That's something that kids can't pretend they didn't hear, I suppose. But let's talk about the way this season starts um, as as compared to how last season ended. So last season ended with a fucking murder suicide. Yes, this season be- begins with uh, one sailor getting killed on camera <laughs> and then an what? entire ship, presumably full of sailors being pulled under the ocean.
1: Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even think about that.
0: Yeah, there's no way those sailors survived. That's an entire shipload of people that just got pulled to the watery grave <laughs> at the beginning of this season. That was a, quite of a, um, an eldritch opening. Yeah, it was.
1: I loved it.
2: It's 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 a different look for Cora. And I mean, I think that um this is one of the things that maybe get back to both things I like and things that maybe make the series feel a little rougher, is that the spirit stuff is a is a new thing and adds some impressive like visual aesthetics to the show, but also the aesthetic of the show is people fighting each other with bending. So it does make things feel pretty differently to have a very spirit heavy set of episodes. I think that there's like sort of an underlying discomfort that that gives um it doesn't mean it was the wrong choice but it's definitely a gear shift if you are used to the show
0: so arlo how'd you feel about the dark spirits we, we got to see not counting the spirit squid at the beginning we got to see right one you gotta uh,
1: count the spirit squid man okay. spirit squid well. forever
0: <laughs> maybe the spirit squid comes back you never know but uh the the crazy one that attacked uh team avatar what'd you think of that
1: uh i am into it, man. I like this spirit stuff uh and I was really struck by when Cora is opening the portal and she gets attacked by those spirits um the animation style uh so Cora is obviously very like anime influenced uh and the the uh, dark spirits stood out to me as they felt much more like they were from a comic book, like an American comic book or something like that. They have much bolder lines and uh, brighter colors while at the same time, they're really fluid. And I really liked how that made them stand out from uh, everything else around them animation wise. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's worth pointing out. I, I don't have the page open, so I don't, I think it's a uh, studio. I can't pronounce it. It's Piro or whatever. It's a different animation studio. Uh, at least this early in season two. In season one, the entire it was Studio Mirror that did the entire animation for, for book one. And at the beginning, at least, of book two, it's a different animation studio. And um, I can tell you that I noticed some of the differences in the animation style. Um, I think it favors slightly more the kind of the more traditional anime. There's a lot of scenes where I feel like in in season one, in book one, there were very few shots of characters just standing completely still, just totally static, with no animation whatsoever, except the lines of their mouth moving.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that, and actually I'm glad you pointed out that it's a different studio, Paul, because I do feel like the animation was noticeably less fluid. Right, right. And and just I would say less good overall. Yeah. Um. I'm glad to hear that it is a different studio because I'm looking now and and Studio Mir picks up for the most part mid season two and with one episode aside in that season does the rest of the show.
0: Yeah, I knew they came back. I just didn't <laughs> know how how long we had to go without them. But uh... it,
2: we. I think I think we'll be next week. We'll be doing some more Studio Piero, and then after that. Um, it's pretty much all mirror except for one episode, ok. cool. so yeah, i do I do think there's a drop in animation quality.
0: It's in... still good. I still like the animation, but it's it is it's just noticeably more static than it had been last year. I... i'm not I'm not sure I noticed a difference. I, I would have to go back
2: and look, But there was one scene in particular where, and, and, you know, it was the, the equivalent of what Paul was saying where it didn't feel like all the layers of the animation were all actually animated. Um, and it just felt a little clunky. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. But I think you can also tell in the fight sequences. And maybe I'll have ruined a fight sequence next week for you, Arlo, when you watch oh, it. No. I Same studio. I actually don't know if we'll see one. But it, it, just it doesn't have the vivid fluidity of motion that the first season had.
0: I notice it mostly like in background characters. I feel like studio mirror in in book one, there were a lot of, you had lots of characters in the background, or even if you're, even if it's just like our group of friends and they're having a conversation when the camera would shift focus to whoever's talking and the other characters kind of go slightly out of focus, you can still occasionally see them move. They'll shift position. They'll blink. There's a lot of like people blinking in the background. And when they talk, it doesn't look like it's just, you know, a cutout figure that they've just animated the mouth on. It's, the characters i don't know there's subtle movements uh to the bodies that i i don't notice in a lot of the scenes in this but uh it, it's just a complaint of degrees really with uh comparing it from the previous uh level of animation to this i still i feel like this animation is still good even even great it's just a little bit less. I feel like it's a drop off from last season, but
2: it and and I'm not. I really. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lay. I'm gonna lay into the fights as being where you really, where I really noticed it. That I, I think it's only because not because it's bad, but because the animation of the fights in Korra are generally of such an absurdly high quality mm-hmm. that anything less than an absurdly high quality does did ring to me. You know what I mean? Like I did notice it. It's like it went from being the best of all possible magic martial arts fight sequences
1: to pretty good
2: magic martial arts. Yeah.
0: See,
1: you say that, but there was in particular in episode three, there's a fight between, uh, Korra. And I think the, the, is it the Northern tribe forces? Yeah. Um, that I that I actually made a note of because I thought the fight look looked so amazing. I don't know if it was necessarily the animation, maybe it was more the choreography that struck me. But
0: well, I, that's I scene gonna,
1: really stood out for me. I
0: was going to say, with the exception, I, I think you and I are thinking of the same fight, Arlo. With the exception of that fight, uh, there's very little in these first handful of episodes um, where it, it's actually you know Bender versus Bender. There. Right. We, we don't get a lot of opportunity. I mean, I'm not saying that they that the animation would have been great if they were fighting anything besides spirits. But just in these first four episodes, most of the fighting that we get to see is between people and spirits. Um, so it's it's a different look to the fight choreography, I think. But it, it's it's. But you know, you're,
2: that that fight sequence that you're talking about, I think, is just as expertly directed as the rest of the show. But if you notice, it uses like, there are times where like it goes like slow, but it feels like a choppier slow, like that Peter Jackson like step frame kind of slow motion instead of the kind of really fluid slow motion that we usually get in Corey. It just looks a little different. Are we talking? It's not are, bad.
0: Are we talking about the fight when, uh, when the, it's actually the Southern Rebels are trying to, oh yeah, it's the trying, Southern Rebels, you're right, trying to kidnap Unalak? Is that what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I believe so. It's the one where she, uh, she thinks goes her dad man. is leading it. It's, it's the one where she goes Iceman and has like an she makes an ice slide.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, it, although, it's expertly directed. It is beautifully directed. My my best. My favorite thing about that fight was when she tore down the banner and used air bending to wrap it around the people and. Yes. And spin them and, around until they were tangled up.
2: Although I will say, if you go back and watch that scene, that specific shot I think is a sign of what I'm talking about. It animated. wasn't.
0: It wasn't as well animated as it could have been, but I just I liked. I, I enjoy the fact that. Uh, in, in these episodes so far, her airbending still seems to be the wild card. Like people, for some reason, whenever she's in a fight with somebody or something, airbending seems to be what she pulls out at the last minute that, that, uh, that wins the day. Like people still don't expect her to, to use airbending. I I have have mastered
1: airbending punch, punch, punch. (laughs) Right.
0: Yes, Exactly.
1: (laughs) you know what I like about that, actually,
2: is that it makes sense because no one has trained to fight against airbending.
0: Right. There, no, you know,
2: the only person you could train against to know how to fight airbending is Tenzin. Mm-hmm. So if you have not sparred with Tenzin greatly, you have no idea what it means to defend against or deal with an airbending attack. Right. Good point. So so I like that. In fact, there's a great moment in episode four. I think it's episode four when she atta- – yeah, it's episode four where she attacks Unalaq. And he's calmly blocking everything until right. he shoots air, and he has a visible moment of surprise. Like, well, I don't know what do I have to do with this one? And he gets knocked <laughs> back from it. And I actually really like that. It's a smart. It's a smart thing that, like, in this world, everyone has trained against every kind of bending style except the one that's mostly extinct. Yeah,
0: that's a great point.
1: You know, and re- a really funny moment uh, with the with Tenzin and his siblings is when they g- get to the Southern Air Temple, and the Air Acolytes are greeting them. Kaya sa- has to say, we're not airbenders. And the guy just looks at her and goes, oh, I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> um, um, speaking of Kaya, I didn't get to mention um, the, ten- I didn't get to chime in on the Tenzin, Bumi, Kaya stuff. Um, and it, it, this goes back again to the weirdness of the season in that amidst this season, which I have some complaints about the Tenzin family drama might be my single favorite plot thread in this show. Um, just because fascinating things we learn and it's not like, I love the stuff with Kaya and like Tenzin's bitterness there, but all the stuff about Tenzin going on vacations with Aang that no one else did Mm -hmm. and the implication that Aang may not have been a fantastic father and that he clearly favored his airbender son. Like Tenzin being an airbender meant that Aang was, which makes perfect sense for Aang. He missed the airbender, um, culture so much and being the last airbender would have been such a weight on him. So, to finally have an airbender to raise would have consumed a lot of his attention, but I love that thing where we would just assume that Aang would be the best sweetest ever dad, yeah. and instead, he kind of screwed up Tenzin, which we learned last season, but in over like overburdening Tenzin with responsibility, he also did a bunch of stuff with him that the other two kids didn't get he was he's a kind of a bad dad
1: yeah and i i mean i I don't even know. Because we, at least as of yet, we don't know enough. I don't even know if I would say he was a bad dad just so much as he had. I don't know. It's, I think everybody favors one kid <laughs> at a certain point And
0: I mean, ten, I know, Tenzin, was, Tenzin was, was the baby of the family and the baby of the family... You know, a lot of He's family... maybe the, the
1: family plus the the, the, the second Airbender. to last Airbender.
0: Right, right. So <laughs> the I mean... second to last Airbender, <laughs> <the> penultimate Airbender, <laughs> <The> penultimate <laughs> Airbender. Uh, anyways, I I I love that dynamic, and like I said, I want to see more of that explored because I, that feels like a very real family dynamic. And, and
1: yeah, uh... and and so far that is my favorite part of this season of these four episodes.
0: And I think we get a fair. I don't. I don't think this is
2: restricted to. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just like overblowing what this plot is. But I feel like the Tenzin, and I mean overall, like all the strands of sibling stuff continue on through this whole season, I feel like. I yeah. I grew an appreciation for Tenzin this season through that plot. It was the best possible way of taking Kenzin from Tenzin from an already interesting character to someone with a level of depth that frankly I don't think we've ever gotten in an Avatar show. Even from Iroh, who is an extremely deep character. Yeah. Tenzin gets these extra layers of all the family background stuff that I mean the scene when he finally finds Iki. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. have Beautiful. this moment of, yeah, of like with the of escaping their siblings is just I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing writing.
0: Yeah. Tenzin is my favorite character of the show. So um, and I have to say
1: J.K. Simmons's performance. I it would be so easy for a star of his like pedigree to just phone this in. But he does a really fantastic job with both the the heavy stuff and the lighter material.
0: I still, like they, I still go back to last season when he was like, oh my God, Milo, that's not a toilet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and there's, uh, there's great stuff here when he finds Iki and there, she's having like a, a tea party with the, uh, the little air bisons. Uh, and by the way, their names are Blueberry Spicehead, Princess Rainbow, Twinkle Starchild, and Juniper Lightning Bug. All of which I believe were David Bowie personae. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh Jesus!
1: Yeah, that stuff is great. Hey, a, a sibling pair we have not talked about yet.
0: I, I was—I've been waiting for this. I've been looking forward to this, Arlo. Uh,
1: so yeah, we get to meet Unalox's kids, uh, Eska and Desna. <laughs> and Eska—I I genuinely did not know this before I sat down to watch these episodes. Eska is none other than Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> of Um, uh, of Parks and Recreation, Scott Pilgrim, and a million other things. Uh, Playing
0: Aubrey Plaza, apparently.
2: At at her most, this is like the most pure distillation of Aubrey Plaza (laughs) possible.
1: It is. There is no no emotion here. She is just a robot person. Yeah. Uh, But that's what she does, and she does it extremely well. Uh, And I have to say, I really sympathized with, with Bolin in these episodes. <laughs> I feel like I have had an Eska or two <laughs> in my life. Like, the, the moment where she like, puts the skull collar around him, uh-huh. like that, felt, that felt a little adult for this show, I have to say. And then
0: drags him by it. And then drags him by it. Him by it. You, can, you can express was, your joy through tears, I think is what she says. Yes!
1: I was like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> um... So, yeah, but you will be I, coming
0: with me to the north. There, there, we will live the rest of our lives together in icy bliss. Foolish Bolin, <laughs> icy bliss.
1: Oh God! It is, doesn't she call him like my my feeble turtle duck? Yep. At at yep. one point, yep. yeah. So again, I'm with Bolin. Uh, I've had some escas in my past. Uh, I yeah I I thought all of that was hilarious. And at the, and at the end, of course, the end of these episodes, she is fucking like launching herself at them with fury. Yeah. That was Uh, her,
2: her like terrifying motorboat sequence was, uh, something else. Yeah. That was was kind of an
0: anime moment there. Yeah. Uh,
2: Speaking of anime moments, like this is something I'm just going to note and no one else is going to note it as an anime moment, but it was so anime that I I have to go. So in that fight sequence, when Cora is fighting the Southern water tribe, there's a point when she like runs in a sort of arc fashion at a group of people. And she like puts her arms behind her, like, like like at an angle behind her, almost like their wings, but it's like she, like, runs with her arms, like, mm-hmm. like thrust backwards a little bit, is pure anime. Absolute pure, it's like a pure anime shot, if I've ever seen one. In fact, if you, like, they, there is a an anime series called Battle Athletes Victory that's, like, this weird, like, <laughs> I love anime titles. <laughs> it, it, and it, the, the series is basically, they we have to save the Earth through the Olympics, I mean, is basically what it comes. Oh, There's aliens God. who come and basically engage in this, like, extreme sports race... Like like track and field event essentially, <laughs> and the and the last the last sequence of the the show is that the woman the girl who's the main character whose like mother was like one of the best racers of all time and she's always trying to live up to her. The aliens dropped on a clone of her mother basically for her to face, and that's like her final race. And anyways, when she beats her mother. She, like, puts her arms back exactly like that. Like, pure – exactly that, almost the same shot. So I don't know if anyone watching this was
1: watching Battle Athletes Victory, which was actually I, a really good show.
0: I have never even heard of it.
1: it, it Eric, was... I, f- I feel like you could be in a room with 12,000 people and none of them would have seen Battle Athletes Victory.
2: Hey, the maybe the best anime music video fan, like, fan vid of all time was to Battle Athletes Victory. Kevin Caldwell's um, – Battle athlete victory anime music video set to the music from Run Lola Run, believe, oh my is a <laughs> moment of pure classic fan video, and you will l- live in awe of it when you see it. Anyways, wow. I'm just saying it was very, very anime in its overall um, motion and um, and like uh, composition, M- much more than Avatar
0: ever was. Cool. Um, all right, I. I uh... I feel like maybe we're scattering a bit here. I, I, let's wrap out these first two episodes. We we haven't even talked about the big event—the fact that s- so they get to the southern the South Pole and she opens the portal, the spirit portal. Can I ask? Did I miss something? How did she open the portal? She she tapped it. She went. Okay. So, okay, so this 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 gets to why I feel like perhaps as I said, the season two is starting to come back to me a little bit as we dive into it and perhaps one of my issues with season two is the characterization of Um, uh, Cora. Starting out this season, she does not appear to have learned any valuable lessons from season one. She's back to being just as sort of headstrong and and obnoxious as she ever was. In fact, possibly more so, uh, which I feel like I, I personally like this. I like this characterization and the way it plays out. But in the scene where she's trying to open the spirit portal, uh, it's sort of a callback to when Tenzin says, you've, learned, "You've mastered Korra-style airbending. Now you have to master the real thing." How does she try to open other, the southern the spirit portal? By punching it. She shoots fire at it. She shoots fire at it. But she also just punches the shit out of the ground several times. Like her solution to problems is to punch them. She's very obstinate. She she. Uh, she is an obnoxious 17-year-old teenager and in in these first few episodes and i feel like perhaps going forward through this season she's just she's dialed up to maybe not 11 let's say 10 and a half on sort of the obnoxious 17-year-old uh scale and it tends to grate on me a little bit
2: i i'm actually a fan of her um, cockiness in this season uh, because it comes off of her uh, beating beating them on and also contacting her past lives finally and getting energy bending and healing everyone. Um, so I really like it and I do like the idea that Korra would have lear- been serious about learning airbending up to the point when she thought it helped her fight and mm-hmm. didn't need anything more from it and moved on from it. And let's face it, her her and Tenzin should they they developed a lot more um, respect. For each other over the course of last season, but he is still the kind of teacher that's going to grate on Korra. They, he is absolutely a uh, stick in the mud in every way, and that is not a and not a Cora type thing. Without the threat of someone to force her through training, I could easily see her being like, "Well, alright, well, I'm done with this right now." Yeah. And yeah. Unalak, Loc- and she also has shown a tendency to be sucked in by charismatic um, people who tell her what she would, wants to hear.
0: The th- yeah, the thing about Korra is she has her entire life been told that she's the one, <laughs> that uh, you know she's the Avatar, so she's the best there is at what she does. And any time she discovers that there's something she's not very good at, um, if an authoritative figure comes in and and um, doesn't stress to her that uh, she doesn't know how to do something, but says that plays on her beliefs that she is meant to be the best and tells her, you know, I, I, I have faith in you. I believe that someday you will be the, the greatest avatar of all time. She eats that shit up like candy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is an easy way into getting her to make poor decisions, which I like. It's I think it's actually very consistent. Um, in the and and Unalak is in a lot of ways, less immediately slimy than Tarlok was. So even if you feel like, oh, I'm not going to fall for that guy again, <laughs>
0: even, uh, even though his last line in the first episode is, "I have great plans for you." <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Like,
2: but he, but he exhibits this power over the spirits that makes right. a lot of sense of it. Like, and if it is like, because up to that point, even I was thinking, okay, this guy's kind of a charlatan, and then he calms that spirit, and it does feel like he knows something about the spirit. Well, because Tenzin is baffled by how smart he is with. With spirits, So I I like that and I like that it and the thing is, it also plays totally into the actual mission of the Avatar. Uh, Unalak is very canny here in that the Avatar's goal, one of the Avatar's purpose is to be the bridge between the spirit world and the human world. And here's this problem with the spirit world. So Avatar makes sense to solve it. So I I enjoy it. And I think is, I really like is that this time Korra snaps out of it a lot faster. Right. As soon as she skis through Unalak, it stops. It, it stops having sway over her. It took her a lot longer to get through Tarlok's crap. Yeah. Um. So she, she, I would say that that is growth. That as soon as there's a a thing off, she she gets through it and actually solves the duplicity of Unalak pretty much all on her own.
0: i just. It, it's a very minor gripe, and it's something that I, I'm not going to harp on too much as we go forward because uh, it is so minor. But it's kind of. One of the little nitpicks that I always had with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there you go, Arlo, let's bring Buffy into this, um, was how the the sort of Monster of the Week episode format that show had for a while led to every episode, the character, one or more of the characters would have an an epiphany, they'd learn a lesson. And then the next episode, they'd completely forget it, and they would behave just like they did before, and then they would learn another lesson, and the next episode, they completely forget it. That kind of stuff, I don't know. I understand that in a syndicated show or whatever, that's necessary, but after a while, I that tends to grate on me, so... If I, when I see Cora seemingly doing that, where I feel like, okay, she, she learned a lesson. She breaks into tears. She falls into her father's arms and apologizes for all this. So she's learned her lesson. Well, in two episodes from now, she'll, be, she'll go right back to being the judgmental uh, you know, pigheaded teenage girl or whatever. Perhaps <laughs> realistic characterization, but still, when you're watching a show, particularly in a condensed format, that's one of my little buttons that kind of drives me crazy.
1: So wait, hold on. Back to my question: How does she open the spirit portal?
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Ultimately, that
1: ah, was awesome.
0: Ultimately, she stopped punching it, and she she went into the avatar state. Avatar state, yeah.
2: And touch and touched it in the
1: avatar state. Yeah.
0: Okay. And the, so, so you that noticed was, so
1: that was all, so I I, I didn't miss anything. That's no, it did.
0: was just she just she just had to. Okay. I I do enjoy the fact that uh, throughout all of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Pretty much the only time we ever saw Aang into the Avatar State was when he was really pissed off or really frightened or whatever. It was a very yeah. traumatic thing. And now that Korra has has discovered the Avatar State, she pretty much just switches it on anytime she wants, and it's no big deal. Which I like, because that's what we've seen from the other Avatars. Right, no, I like that. I, that's, I feel like that's the way the Avatar State is supposed to work.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so. a- Aang was... Because Aang was so avoidant of it because it was tied to his the rage that he wouldn't, like, basically the fact that he could be violent in it, and that worried him. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, Korra, when she did it, she doesn't, and well, they, Korra does not abuse it, which I actually like. Like, she doesn't seem to go into the Avatar state for no reason, but when, when she's got to do it, she, she goes in. And, yeah. and, I, and I guess to a certain degree, Aang probably hit that too. We did kind of see that with Aang when he took down, um, Ozai. oh crap, what was the, what's that? Ozai? No, not Ozai. No, no, no. The guy in uh, as an adult Aang, in the flashback that we oh, saw Oh yeah, when yeah. He take,
0: um, uh, takes on the crime lord, Yako.
2: Yako. When he takes down Yako, that was a very intentional although he still avoids it up until the moment when he absolutely has to use it. Right. But it was definitely less of a ragey one and more of an intentional switch. So he obviously mastered that over time. Yeah. Um But yes, so yes, Avatar State opens the spirit portal um and got it. and and, for, and for, I love the I actually really love that bit because it for this one moment, everything feels really awesome. She's opened the spirit portal. Everyone's happy, and then she gets back, and this invasion starts.
0: Right. Yeah. So let's head to the invasion then. Uh, yeah. Civil Wars, Part One and Two. Um, so
1: I will admit that I am not, and I, I've already told Paul this. I am not as into the Unalak, Tanrock, sibling rivalry, perhaps as much as I should be. Definitely not as into it as the and boomy Kaya thing. I don't know. There's something about this plot that I'm not a hundred percent sold on.
2: I, I'm not sure you ever will be. We'll see. Um, I, I would. At whatever I end up thinking of this season, I feel one hundred percent confident in saying that Unlock is the weakest villain of the show.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I don't really care for
2: Unlock. I, we're going to put a pin in the Unalak being the worst villain things. So when we get to season four, there's a moment when I'm going to call back to Unalak <laughs> being the worst villain of the show. I think I've mentioned that before, but it's going to be mid-season four. We're going to get a point where we're all going to have a good laugh at Unalak's expense. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, Unalak is definitely their weakest villain. Um, I, he's he, become, he is in a lot of ways a plot facilitator villain. Uh, yeah, You know, he's like, he gets us into the spirit world stuff. He has a level of knowledge about it that is helpful to us and he has a spirit world related plan that helps us have to dive into spirit world related stuff. And so the effect Unalak's stuff will leave on the show, I think is very positive, but Unalak himself is not a particularly compelling villain once he goes full villain, which doesn't happen. That takes not, not much time at all. By, the season, by episode four, Unalak is basically, uh, Water Lord Ozai. So
0: <laughs> yeah, my final my last note that I wrote down for uh, Civil Wars part 2 is Unalak is a bad guy, shock. <laughs> it's
2: like all the things around this plot are really great. Like I actually really love the underlying idea of the Northern Water Tribe who is much more successful than the Southern Water Tribe trying to forcibly make them better. Right. Like I actually really like that. That is a deep and um and, and complicated thing to drop into a show just like a lot of other things that they've dropped in that like because we've never really gotten to like the inequality between the two water tribes as a result of the fire nation decimating the southern water tribe much more than they did the northern water tribe Mm -hmm. so leading to this thing where like the northern water tribe views themselves as superior to the southern water tribe is a really interesting way to take that i think
0: so i want to i want to mention something that occurred to me i think the first time watching this time um it's kind of interesting that there's a southern water tribe and a northern water tribe and a few very minor cultural differences aside they're basically the same like in this uh unalak is the chief the tribal chief uh, uh, of both tribes apparently he's not he's not the chief of the northern tribe he's the water chief tribe apparently um he, several times he says, I'm their chief or whatever. Uh, so it's just interesting that there's these two cu- cultures that are literally at opposite ends of the planet, and they're so culturally similar uh, despite the remove. And with the opening of the portal, the spirit portal, and Unalak says, you know, once the northern portal, which we can, we can talk about why they have to open the northern portal, but he mentions once both portals are open that they'll be able to travel between them within seconds instead of, instead of having to travel all the way around the world. Um, so I just wonder if that plays into the cultural history of the water tribe. If at one time both portals were open and these tribes could communicate back and forth within seconds, instead of having, you know, months of travel time.
2: Yeah. Um, that's interesting, actually, because they would have been closer at one point, and then things fell apart. Actually, it actually makes a lot of sense that there was a time in the past when they probably were able to be a lot closer, and then there was this bit of drift. And what, you know, one thing I think that's interesting is we think back to Avatar, and the Northern Water Tribe – granted, it would have been hard for them to because they were across the world – did basically nothing for the Southern Water Tribe. The Southern Water Tribe had their entire like, set of waterbenders uh, exterminated by the Fire Nation, and the Northern Water Tribe did nothing to help them right so, so i it, it's I, I, these are things that i like like this is what i mean by unlock is like an uncompelling villain with lots of compelling stuff driven by the plot he is the least interesting thing about mm-hmm. so um I, I think that's probably going to continue throughout this is that unlock is sort of like a little bit yawny, but um his i love the spirit world stuff and really we get into some really complicated questions like is her father going to back this rebellion and Korra's being torn between it. Korra, again, trying to be the balance keeper between two things. And all it does is lead to the Southern Water Tribe saying that she's a traitor for not backing them immediately. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff at the margins, I think, of this story.
1: You said Unalak's a little bit Yanni. So, mean, does that mean he's a little bit uh, new, masterful New Age composer?
2: Well, did you see all the pretty, the pretty light show he creates? Look, can you just, you <laughs> That's can just true. Hear, you can just hear <laughs> synth pads over top of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> wow. Um.
0: All right. What else do we get in these two? Uh. In the, in the Civil War, I feel like there should be more to discuss oh. in a Civil War.
2: Oh. Okay. Okay. There's two big things we need to talk about. I'm gonna make sure we talk about one. Uh, both cool moments. One hilarious and one awesome. Cora attacking the car with Naga and right. scaring the shit out of
0: the judge. Yeah. yep.
2: A a beautiful moment of her sticking his head into Naga's mouth. <laughs>
0: Yep, that was great. And then
2: the other thing that is highly important is Varric the platypus bear.
0: Yes, ping-ping. Yes. Inside <laughs> ping-ping.
2: And, oh my gosh, the platypus bear is pooping money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> when goes, like When he tells Boland, I can't remember what the line is, like, I got something around back for you. And yep. then like, a flop of money falls out. It's juvenile humor, but it fucking cracks me up. And That's I
0: I, I love that they commit to it for the entire episode. He's he's <laughs> in that bear the entire time.
2: Including the end when they pass the water nation water tribe ship and they're like, Captain, you aren't gonna believe this. <laughs> 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 and I just note that poor Julie is crammed into the bottom of that suit
1: the entire time. Oh, poor Julie.
0: Do the thing. Do the thing. Yep, she's, do the do the back end of the platypus <laughs> bear thing. That's terrible. That's terrible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, Eric, the bear reminded me of Detention. Oh, oh my God, I wish, wow. I wish it had
2: reminded me of Detention. I feel like I lost on this. Wow. I sat
1: there watching. I was like, oh, God, no wonder Eric likes this show. <laughs> you have a giant bear in it.
0: Uh, just wait till Ping Ping time travels. I, I, I can't wait oh man um,
2: it's it's a lot of um, like there's all these like little good things in this stuff that's why I, I feel like weird I, I think that I'm going to make peace with this season this time actually because first time through you watch for like the plot and story and you sort of focus on the big things stuff like Unalak and whatever and if that doesn't quite work for you it's there but you know this is making me think like a lot of the Bull and Varric stuff plays out very interestingly this season too like this is a plot thread where we're going to open up uh, Varric's taking of Bolin as his like like new f- new fun friend kind of thing. Um we are not we're not done with that and I think that leads into interesting things, but it does also lead into a plot that feels super separate from everything else which is indicative of this season. So I think we're going to keep getting interesting plot threads that don't quite add up to a full season but are all kind of interesting on their own unlock aside.
1: So Bolin's kind of being pulled in a couple different directions then. I feel like he has a couple new fun friends with both Varric and Eska. That that'll be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, I, I, I feel like out. I feel like this early in in season 2 they hadn't quite worked out what their plan for Bolin was yet. It,
2: it, it Bolin and Mako both seem to I think are in a little bit of a holding pattern. Like well Bolin they're like trying
1: to find a plot
2: for and Mako has nothing to do.
1: Yeah, Mako just gets to whine about how hard it is being the Avatar's boyfriend. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> this might also Arlo, you said how you've got some esques in your past. Um, uh-huh. This might also tie into maybe some of my feelings for Cora. In in the you got some
1: Koras in your past. Yeah,
0: in in the Cora Mako relationship, as we see it portrayed here at the beginning of Book Two, I am 100% the Mako in that situation, and I do not sympathize with Cora. <laughs> in all that, I mean, it's play. It's mostly played for laughs. Um, although I think there is an undercurrent of sort of seriousness to that relationship. Maybe we can talk about that relationship, but uh, that's one of those things that I I'm like, that's not funny. I don't find that funny. <laughs> you know, a lot of people talk about the humorous aspects of romantic relationships and that's something that comes up, but I'm like, yeah, I've lived through that too many times. I don't think that's funny. I,
2: I um I, I do sympathize. Um, I sympathize with both of them because they are both, they are both Teenagers who are realizing that they have mistaken infatuation for love and are now trying to figure out what the hell to do about it.
0: Yes, uh, book one ended with the big romantic kiss, and then this shows you that you know the big romantic kiss does not always lead to the big romantic relationship. And, yeah. yeah, and neither of them are really
2: equipped for the problems that their respective lives bring into things, mm. and it is it is taking things down pretty fast. And I think M- M- Mako is a little. I think he's not want to say jealous is the right word, but like definitely doesn't like when you have the avatar overshadowing you and you are kind of a competitive person with a lot of pride of your own, that can definitely get a little intimidating. And Korra is a massively um, selfish and self-centered person sometimes, and that just exacerbates. So I, I like that their relationship is – and this is actually like – we go back to this whole like love quadrangle thing and that it was really like annoying when it first started. But I actually really like that we've got these little threads of relationship that come out of it and they've mostly let it down just to Cora and Mako's um, being really in, unable to maintain a relationship at all because they suck as people. <laughs>
1: because they suck as people. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um. It's not what it always comes down to.
0: <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So we already talked a lot about the the Kaya the boomy Kaya Tenzin uh yeah. sibling stuff. That all that for the most part that happens in these two episodes. Um uh anything else that we want to talk about in here? There's uh, a seems to be getting being set up for some sort of subplot.
2: This is the season when Genora gets awesome. <laughs> I'm Janora is a, Janora is awesome this season.
1: Pure fucking awesome. As a as a diehard Kieran Shipka fan, I'm glad to hear that. Oh yeah, and and she
2: stays awesome the rest of the show. So it's not like she gets one cool moment and then it's done. This is when Janora becomes like a serious character to the show, um, and we're starting to get the hints of it here, which I'm excited about. Um, that is awesome. And um and you know before, actually before we get into because actually next week we're going to get some of this so I think we should actually note a really interesting and important piece of information that came out of the previously on in the first episode which is that there's no more council in Republic City right
1: oh yeah it's
2: now, and they now it's... have a democratically elected president yep so there was a significant change that came out of um, Amon's rebellion a, cha- yeah, a sort change of like a change for
0: the better.
1: Hmm. Sort of like a tossed-off detail at the beginning. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I would imagine they would go back into that. So
2: we will. We're we are going to get. Well, obviously they're headed back to Republic City, so we will get some ideas of how Republic City works now um, when it's you know old. It's new new situation. But I really like that they noticed that a council of mostly benders or maybe all benders was kind of a bad idea, and have corrected that to some degree. But we'll see whether that means helpfulness for anyone.
0: There is, uh, I can't remember if we talked about, like Arlo, I can't remember if you ever brought up concerns or fear that uh, politics was going to be left behind once we got out of season one. Um, If memory serves, now that season two is coming back to me, I feel like politics continues to be something that we address as the show goes forward.
1: Cool. So. I don't remember expressing that fear, but
0: cool. Okay. Um, I, I, ex- I, I express
1: a lot of fear on a daily basis though so that's true I can't keep track you are full of fear it's true so true <laughs>
0: fear is the path so, to the dark
2: side Well, the, but so we, we we get through these episodes that I've noticed that they've basically dumped and I think maybe this is one of the reasons that we're feeling a little like unsure about this is that they basically dumped a mid season arc into right? the yeah. mm-hmm. so, Civil Wars Civil Wars is your episode 8 and 9 in most seasons <laughs> Yeah, and we did. We got none of the Unalak setup that I think would justify it. Like I think it works because we know enough about the world to fill in the details. Like we can kind of we can make sense of it, and it's not a bad development. But we definitely did not get the couple of episodes of groundwork to set it up. And I think that you know was a decision they made because there's other plot they want to tell, and I'm glad for it. And when we get to our mid season two parter, I think we'll find that it was a a much better choice then putting civil wars there. So I'm not going to argue with it, but I think they have got about two seasons worth of plot in the show and they crammed season ones into this. And <laughs> yeah. this was, this was the finale of season two part one. And now we're going to get the rest of season two.
1: That makes a lot of sense because this really, these four episodes taken together really do feel kind of self-contained. Except of course for Eska fucking like launching herself at them <laughs> at the end.
0: <laughs> I wonder if that's going to pay off. Hmm. So no, we're um, never going to see her again. Yeah. Uh, two minor things that I just wanted to call out because they're two of my favorite things of these four episodes. Uh, one, the sound effect of inflatable uh, inflatable Bolin. I'm a raft. When he slides back down and, and uh, uh, Mako puts his foot out and stops him, the sound it makes when... When blown-up Bolin bounces off his foot, sheer perfection. Ridiculously tiny detail uh, in the audio quality of the show, but I giggle every single time I watch that. I wish I
1: could remember
0: what the sound was. It sounds exactly like you would think an inflatable snowsuit would sound if someone kicked it.
1: You should clearly find this sound and put it right here.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'll see what I can do. Um and then the other thing was uh we got v- all too briefly but Nolan North did one of the voices. Oh yeah. Uh, Who did Nolan here.
2: North do?
0: He was the he's billed as the rebel leader but when uh when the Southern Water tribe guys are trying to abduct uh what's his name Unalak? You know, Cora thinks
1: Yeah, what's what's his name? He's kind of an important character. Yeah, Unalak.
0: Uh Cora thinks that the guy carrying unalak is her father uh but he never talks it's the guy next to him that always talks that guy next to him is nolan north all right so i didn't know that i wish they'd given him a bigger
2: plot nolan north would have made a pretty good uh pretty good full-time character on the show i
0: agree i I don't know if if he does any more voices or if he ever comes back but uh, i recognized the voice immediately and i looked it up i was like yes nathan drake for the win um okay anything else we want to talk about No, I want to
2: make a a clear statement that I have absolutely no clue what the next two episodes are. None. (laughs) This is the first time since I think the first season of Avatar when I am completely unsure what the next... I have like one plot idea that I know is in the next two episodes. But other than that, I can't tell you what's coming up. Well, then this is... I know it's after that. This
0: this. is a perfect opportunity then uh, for Arlo to speculate on what the next two episodes are. I forgot I did this. (laughs) The next (laughs) two episodes we're going to talk about are Peacekeepers and The Sting. So uh, why don't you go ahead and, based on the titles alone, tell us what you think is going to happen next. Uh,
1: So, in Peacekeepers, I don't really have a good one for this. Hold on. Uh, uh, Improvisation is not my strong suit. Uh, In Peacekeepers, there's keeping of piece that was bad that was bad wow. but in the sting in the sting i'm pretty sure that means that the the frontman of the police will be performing in its entirety his 1985 debut solo album the dream of the blue turtles of course this being the world of avatar it would be the dream of the blue turtle ducks
0: or lion turtles
1: or lion turtles the possibilities oh. are endless
0: <laughs> or at least two so <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll uh Tune in next week to see how close you are. Um, Pretty sure about the peacekeeping one, though. That's okay, you, yeah, you probably nailed that one. So we, we got some, uh, some feedback, some listener email. Uh, Andrews Ampoma, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name, uh, he wrote in and said, um, I thought I'd start out by saying I love your podcast. I found it a little bit late, so I'm kind of behind. However, I have a question about the progression of Uncle Iroh. Uh, It's not much of a spoiler, but the creators confirmed that the reason why Iroh was so concerned with the water and moon spirits in the book one finale is because he had entered the spirit world not too long after his son died. He went looking for his son in the spirit world, and along the way, he fell in love with the spirit world and held a certain reverence toward them. How do you think knowing that changes your perspective of Uncle Iroh and his view of the bigger picture of the world? So... First of all, thank you, Andrews, for writing in and for for saying that you loved our podcast. We were not worthy. Um, but this uh, this is the second time that we've gotten uh, listener feedback that references stuff way that we are way past. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, We might be so far removed, it's difficult for us to answer this question. But
1: uh... yeah, I, I'm going to say right now, I don't think having only seen Avatar once and it's been so long since the relevant portion of that show, I don't. I think I can answer this question, guys.
0: All right, Eric, what about you? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Okay,
2: first of all, I I actually um, had to do a little bit of looking up. I had not realized that it was – that there was this idea that he had gone into the spirit world to to search for his son. But I actually really like this because it does inform – there is a level of rage that Iroh feels when the moon spirit dies. He's not just protective. I believe he breathes fire
0: at that point. Yeah, maybe. I think so.
2: I, I think he kinda loses it on Zhao. I mean, let's be honest, we all wanted to lose it on Zhao at some point. But he totally loses it on Zhao and um it's a great moment and it, it is a it is a level of anger that feels personal. Mm-hmm. So I I actually think that does add a lot and it also I, I kind of what it does make me think about is um, what is Zuko, oh, sorry, what is uh, Iroh's feeling on the avatar? And I think that he also tended to be not just in terms of Zuko's development, but did not seem at all interested in antagonizing the avatar. Like he didn't seem like he was anti avatar in any way beyond just his normal inclination. So I think that if he had a reverence for the spirit world, and it sounds like he did, it makes a lot of sense, then I think it does also inform his. Um, general respect for the avatar, knowing what the avatar's role was. Did that answer the question? Did I, did I it sound like I addressed the
0: question or did I miss something? No, I, I think you got it. The question was, how do you think knowing that changes your perspective of uncle Iroh and his view of the bigger picture of the world? Um, I would say uh, this is one of those difficult situations where you like that. That's not important information. That's not information that we needed in order to understand the story that's being told. So it's not a big deal. Um, it's always iffy when you have, uh, like the creators or the, the behind the scenes people of a show, um, filling in holes outside of the context of the story. It doesn't sound like that's what this was. That's just a little extra detail that maybe they, they dropped in an interview somewhere. Um, I would say the various times that I've watched Avatar, the last airbender, I don't, I don't think it ever crossed my mind that uncle Iroh had ever, Visited the spirit world, I just assumed that he was a that he had found a level of peace once his son died. he changed his outlook on life and he he re- reached an inner peace and uh that made him more of a spiritual person uh, knowing that the creators apparently intended him to have taken a trip to the spirit world makes complete sense of of any of the characters that we met throughout avatar the last airbender if any of them besides ang could have ever made a trip to the spirit world iroh would have been my first pick so and i think it also maybe um again it doesn't like really change anything
2: but i think it adds some additional um interesting background to him being a member of
0: the white lotus yeah 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 all right so again, that was a cool.
2: That was a great question, by the way. I really yes, like it that was. Question.
0: Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Andrews. Uh, listeners, uh, we we love getting email, uh, even if you even if you baffle us and, and make us stretch our memories back to the dawn of history. <laughs> so uh, please continue to write in and ask us questions. Please test us. We like we like being tested. Um As for everybody else, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Make sure you never miss another exciting episode. While you're there, be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. Uh, If you'd like to contact us, if you have uh, uh, any pressing questions for us, please send your correspondence. Care of monkeyyahtzee at podcast at gmail.com uh, and of course you can always find us on social media we're at uh, facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash tarpodcast and on twitter I'm at haunt1013, Eric is at salon, that's S-A-A-L-O-N and Arlo is at unplugged crazy. Uh, next week book 2 of Korra continues with chapters 205 uh, Peacekeepers and 206 The Sting starring Robert Redford and Paul Newman uh, until then remember the Avatar State is not to be used as a booster rocket.